Save a little more this month. Chime checking accounts have features like fee-free overdraft up to $200 with SpotMe and no monthly fees. Open your account in minutes at chime.com slash goals 24. Banking services debit card provided by Bancorp, Bank NA, or Stride Bank NA. Members of FDIC. SpotMe eligibility requirements and overdraft limits apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Boneyard with Steve Robertson. As always, I am your good friend and host, Steve Robertson. Here on the Monday edition of the Yard, it is Rivalry Week. We're not going to spend a ton of time talking about that today. However, you're going to get a bonus show this week. We'll do Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday in anticipation of the battle for the Golden Egg. And we'll recap on Friday. Then then your good friend and host will be on the road this weekend. Got some family coming in this week and going to see some more. Yeah, yeah, it's the best time of year to get a chance to see everybody. So, uh, but so today we're going to kind of recap the game. We'll look a little bit ahead uh, to uh, the Egg Bowl, but um, we're going to focus on the one over East Tennessee State. And then tomorrow, kind of going to give you some Egg Bowl history. I, I think I'm probably the definitive expert on the Mississippi State side when it comes to that, at least among the, the top. So we're going to give some Egg Bowl history. Then we'll do our customary Wednesday show. And then, of course, our Friday recap. So four Boneyards this week, full in their entirety. Give you plenty of uh, traveling knowledge, entertainment, and education this week. It's a big week. So we're going to honor Robbery Week by we're going to bring relentless effort. You'll get plenty of strain this week on the show. So we'll get that out there for you. But, uh, you know, good win for State over the weekend. We didn't expect it to be a ball game. It wasn't a ball game. It's good to get some young guys out there. Going to speak about some of that, too. It's a lot that goes on. You know, and it's like, uh, ask Mike Leach in postgame, you know, how, how do you manage that? You know, how do you decide when it's time to pull the guys, when it's time to put the younger guys in? How do you kind of, you know, coordinate that out? And he goes, every time that he's put a plan together, it's blown up in his face. He said, it's just kind of a, you know, as the situation kind of presents itself, you adjust to that, and you get guys in. And, uh, you know, Chance Lovertich came in and played in relief of Will Rogers, and uh, that was a senior day deal. A lot of people have misconstrued that. Sawyer, of course, did get in, uh, didn't have a great game. And that's, that's to be it's expected. It's okay. And the good thing is he got out there and got his feet wet a little bit. You know, if I can offer one criticism, you know, of the staff this year, there are some people that's all they do is offer criticism. I, I don't. I'm a supportive person. But the one criticism that I would make is that in some of these blowout games, we probably should have gotten Sawyer Roberts in more reps. Just because you never know with Will. We've been very fortunate when it's come to health for the most part this year. Of course, Jaden Crumberty was banged up much of the year. You know, Manuel Forbes missed a ball game here. You know, we've had a few things here or there. We've been very, very fortunate this year when it's come to health. But you can't bank on that. It'd have been nice to have gotten Sawyer some reps, not to mention to kind of give him an opportunity to, to get some things on tape to give you more coachable moments, right? So I don't know that we've handled that as best we could, and uh, I thought that showed Saturday. But against Sawyer Robertson, a redshirt freshman, we have very high hopes for him. I told you guys on this show and on jeanspage.com that the, the, the battle for starting quarterback this year was really not close. 
You know, Will Rogers was head and shoulders better than everybody else, including Sawyer Robertson. And that's not to say that Sawyer doesn't have a higher ceiling. I think perhaps he does. But he's not there yet. And his time will come. I've seen some people, too, that have been very supportive of Will Rogers that have kind of been critical of the people that wanted to see more of Sawyer Robertson. I don't support that either. They're both Bulldogs. It is okay for us to support them both. We don't have to pick a side. And, again, there was never really any chance of uh, Sawyer overtaking Will this year, nor should he. I mean, you've got an incumbent starter, you know, with a couple of years of experience under his belt. So, no, it's, it's not a reasonable expectation to think Sawyer Robertson is going to come in and just take that job in year one. So, you know, we'll see what happens in the future. But, uh, you know, the chance played because it was senior day, and that was the right move. And I know Sawyer probably knows that too. I, I saw some people, you know, really upset about it. But um, it's senior day, man. Come on. All right, let's thank our friends at Bulldog Burger Company. Love Bulldog Burger Company. I told you I was there last week, had the BLT salad grilled. It's always a winner. It's always fresh. You know, sometimes you just want to eat something fresh. You know how it is. You, you live in the same town. You ride around. You have the same old options every single day. That's one of the things I love about Bulldog Burger Company is the diversity of the menu. And sometimes I just want to eat fresh. And that's the BLT salad for me. I get it grilled. You may like it fried. I always get it with the ranch dressing. They serve it. It kind of comes with the barbecue ranch. I like that too. But I'm from South Mississippi, so it's kind of a prerequisite. You know, you have to get ranch dressing on everything. Uh, go buy and check it out. Have your own BLT salad. And, and, you know, they're famous for their hamburgers. The great restaurant quality hamburger is what has built an empire for Bulldog Burger Company. If you're just getting started, maybe start with the Bulldog, right? That's a great way to get started. And on your next visit, maybe uh, let's branch out a little bit, kind of walk on the wild side. Maybe get the smokehouse, the pimentology. I like the pimentology, add bacon. That'll put some hair on your chest, for sure. Get that chocolate shake to go. Always get the spring rolls as your appetizer. Get the full Bulldog Burger Company experience, part of a great group of restaurants that have served this area for many, many years. These people know how to feed folks. Three great locations to serve you. University Drive here in Star Vegas, Gloucester Street there in Tupelo, and Lake Harbor Drive there in the Ridge and Flowood area. Be sure and go check them out today. Bulldog Burger Company, the place where people go to meet. M-E-A-T. All right, let's get right to it. ETSU wins the toss, and they defer. So Mississippi State gets the ball first. And right out of the gate, we talked about it. Tulu Griffin could make an impact. Really, in, in my mind, really kind of solidifying himself, himself as a bona fide All-American candidate as a kick returner. Big, big return. 58-yard kickoff, returned 52 yards, one block away from taking it back to the house. I think had he done that, he'd probably go ahead and pencil him in potentially as a first-team guy. But great year so far for Tulu as a return guy. And, of course, uh, you know, good game for him, too, as a receiver. But right out of the gate, you go out and you punch him right in the mouth. It's like, you know what, guys, so glad you came, but this thing is going to be over quickly. All right, so we go immediately to Jaden Wiley for six. They flag them for offsides. We take the penalty, which makes it a first and five situation now at the uh, ETSU 36-yard line. We go to Rufus for nine, and what a, what a weapon Rufus has been for us. And I'm happy to admit I was wrong. I just I worried about his size coming out of Starville High School. There were a lot of Yellow Jacket loyalists. They said, Steve, this guy's got what it takes. I went to the Mississippi-Alabama All-Star practice, saw myself, and I said, you know what? This kid's got something. There's something special about this kid. I don't know that he's going to be a, quote, a difference maker, but this guy can certainly play in a Southeastern Conference. And he's shown to be a lot tougher than maybe his size would suggest. I'm a Rufus fan, and I was late to the bandwagon. I absolutely admit it. I'm happy to be wrong about that. Rufus doing a great job at Mississippi State. All right, makes it first and 10 now at the ETSU 27. We hit Caleb Ducking for 15 here. 
And again, we ran a little tempo here too. It's amazing what happens when we run a little tempo. Everything seems to flow a little bit better. Hopefully we'll run some tempo on, uh, on Thursday. All right, so first and 10 now at the 12, and then it's touchdown pass to Tulu. He flashes inside there, shows his hands. Well, it's done. Extra point is good. It's 7-0 to Mississippi State. I think at this point everybody felt like, you know what, we're in great shape. This thing is going to get ugly very, very quickly. Now, ETSU, to their credit, put together a couple really solid first quarter drives, starting with their first possession. We talked about Jacob Saylor's about this is a guy that's a dude. And you saw that on Saturday. You know, he's not an SEC caliber player, but this is a guy that's very, very productive on a college level, even at the FCS level. I can only begin to imagine, you know, what, what would he do at a Power 5 program with Power 5 offensive linemen around him and coaching? He certainly has some ability. So they, go, they feed him, and he runs left side for just one. Tyler Riddell, the quarterback, on the zone read, maybe in a quarterback draw type situation. They ran a lot of that. They ran a lot of the same concepts that Ole Miss does, as Zach Arnett suggested they would, and they did. So maybe perhaps that gives us a bit of an advantage this week as we prepare for Ole Miss. But Tyler Riddell uh, runs for four, brings up a third and five, and they run it again, a third ball carrier. Baron May goes for seven yards to make it a first down. All right, on first and 10 here, they're complete to Isaiah Wilson for nine. And they had a couple receivers that I thought were long and rangy, and if they go in the portal, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be opposed to taking a swing at them. Second and one, they go back to Sayers for three. He moves the chains, makes it first and 10 out near midfield. Sayers again for five, and on second and five, they swing it out to a Sailors who gets three, brings up a third and two, and then Jalen Green with the interception there. And to be quite honest with you, I was a little concerned on this drive. You know, I was really concerned. What if these guys go in and put this ball in the end zone and we end up being in a bit of a fight here and we got to keep guys on the field? But Green, with a great play there, gives State the football back. Did not take the Bulldogs long. First and 10 from the State 39, we go to Woody for six. Then we're complete to Rara for five. We move the chains. Thought Rara played pretty well, too. Now we're at midfield. We hit it back down the field to, uh, to Rara for 12. And it's like, again, we're running a little tempo here. At the ETSU 38-yard line, we go back to Woody for seven. Then we're incomplete to Jameer Calvin. And I hated Jameer Calvin. hadn't had a better year this year. He showed some real flashes last year. But this year, it just, you know, and we never expected him, like, to be the dude, right? But uh, certainly expected a bigger senior year from him. But uh, for some reason, it just hadn't come together. All right, third and three, we go to Justin Robinson, who, who I think is going to be a dude. I think Justin Robinson next year may be your primary receiver in this offense. Go to him for seven, which makes it first and ten at the ETSU 24. We get it to Woody across the middle here. I can't remember if this was kind of an angle route or not, but uh, we threw it to him out there. And uh, he gets loose for 16, brings up a first and goal situation from the eight. We throw our first incompletion of the day, and then we come back to Rara for the touchdown. Extra point is good. It's 14-0 state just over midway through the first quarter. We kick off again. And, uh, you know, get nice effort here, I guess. But um, they decide to bring it out. They get out to the 25-yard return, gets out to the 31. Would like to just put that ball in the end zone. I know that's easier said than done. But it's so much nicer when you don't have to go cover a kick. All right, first and 10 from their 31. Sailors runs off left, right side for 11. Back to him up the middle for two. Makes it second and eight. We're incomplete. Isaiah Wilson, that, that's a kid. I'm telling you, that kid can play a little bit. All right, third and eight, a chance to get off the field here. They come up short of the line to gain, but decide to go for it on fourth down. 
big tackle from Jet Johnson there keeps Cameron Lewis from moving the chains, but they go for it on fourth and one. And this is one of those things, too, where this is like a, this is a test of manhood, right? They line up. They give it to Sayers. They get two yards, move the chains. First and ten now at our 47. They go back to Sayers. Jordan Davis in there. We stack him up for a one-yard loss. Second 11 then, they hit Cam Lewis. There's that guy again. Great, great pass. And the ball was a little bit elevated. He goes up and gets it. You like guys that can elevate. Makes your ball placement issues maybe not as apparent when you've got a receiver with a good catch radius. It's willing to elevate and go catch a football. All right, so now it's first and 10 at our 30, and I'm thinking these guys are going to put this ball in the end zone. Well, they run Sailors again for a one-yard loss. And then on second 11, they run again up the middle. Jawan Martin, the fourth young man to carry the football for the Buccaneers on the day, brings up a third and seven. They try to go back to Wilson. The ball is incomplete. I believe it bounced. And then fourth and seven, they attempt a 44-yard field goal. It's no good. And at this point, you kind of felt like the game was over. It did for me anyway. We get one more play in the first quarter as we're complete to Tulu for nine yards. That runs out the first quarter clock. State with a 14-0 advantage as we resume on the other side. Second one, J.J. Jernigan. And really happy that J.J. had a chance to play. That, that, that's a guy, too, that has kind of been, you know, a workhorse for State, mainly in practice. Never complains, wants to play. Just a great teammate. It's just so good to see him get an opportunity here. That's the thing you think about. We talk about walk-on running backs all the time. Omni Wells comes to state, ends up getting a Division I scholarship at South Alabama. J.J. Jernigan walks on at state and eventually is placed on scholarship. Yeah, that's good stuff right there. It really is. We talk about running backs all the time, but think about that. We've had two guys that have walked on at state in the last couple of years that end up being scholarship guys, and they get their education paid for. That's a wonderful, wonderful thing. All right, so J.J. goes for two here, which moves the chains, makes it first and 10 at the State 38. Then there's Scooby Ford. We dialed him up for 19. First and 10 now on the opposite side of the 50. Back to J.J. Jernigan, kind of taking the Dylan Johnson reps here. And he runs for six yards. Second and four, we find Scooby again, moves the chains. First and 10 now at the ETSU 32. We find Tulu, who's got it inside the 10. A first and goal situation. Back to Tulu for the touchdown. Extra point is good. It is 21-0 state, and people begin to gather their belongings at this point. It was a cold day. A lot of people are thinking, you know what? I'm going to go support the Bulldogs in case they need me. Boys, it looks like you got it. Ben Rabin then kicks it 59 yards. It's a fair-caught football. A few of those catches this week uh, for ETSU where they just fair-caught it inside the 10 and took the, uh, took the touchback. Defense finally figures some things out here. You know, back-to-back drives from them. One ends in a turnover on our end of the field and the other in a missed field goal. But we've kind of figured some things out here. Finally figured some things out here. A couple of, again, a couple of nice drives for them to open, which is kind of concerning. But you, everybody scripts up the first quarter. you got to be able to adjust. And I feel like we adjusted pretty well after that. All right, Sagers then goes for one yard at the middle. It's incomplete to Cam Lewis. Emmanuel Forbes squatting on the route, lays out full extension, Bats the football down, makes it third and nine. Then they're short again, and uh, they there's holding on them. We decline it. Again, uh, Emmanuel Forbes making plays out here. Really, really like Emmanuel Forbes, and you should too, right? All right, on fourth and nine, they get a false start penalty back, so that makes it fourth and 14. But again, you know, basically one a, a net of one yard on this drive. After back-to-back drives, picking up some first downs, eating some clock, trying to win some field position, just one yard. State gets the ball back, and we didn't do much with it here. And uh, this was this was a crazy drive. Probably the one offensive possession you look back and say, you know what, this this one just kind of blew up in our face a little bit. 
Will Rogers gets flushed and runs, gets three yards, gets out of bounds. On second and seven, we're complete to Woody for just the one yard there. And then on third and six, we're complete to Austin Williams for five. We come up short of the line in the game. We end up, uh, we think we're going to punt here. But instead, uh, we'd go for it. And I was okay with going for it. I wasn't okay with throwing the football. Just run the football. This is an FCS team. I understand in some situations, you know, if everybody's selling out to stop the run, like you're playing Alabama, Georgia, I kind of get it. You show run and maybe boot outside off of it. But against an FCS team, just line up and give the ball to Woody. Give the ball to JJ. Right? We don't. The next thing you know, it's like the circus has come to town. It's absolutely insanity here. We end up losing, what, 20 or 18 yards on this thing? Will rolls right, rolls left, come back around, and we end up throwing the ball away, and they flag us for intentional grounding because the ball, even though he was outside the tackle box, did not get back to the line of scrimmage. It's a mistake, Will, but even more importantly, it's a mistake on the play call. I'm just – you call it as I see it. I said it right then. I was like, what, what are we doing? What are we doing? Fourth and one out near midfield. I'm okay with going for it. Line up and run the football. This is not Alabama. In every situation, you're not going to run that football. You're going to try to make a play. But in this situation against an FCS opponent that you know is going to have difficulty scoring, just run football. That's not rocket science. All right, so we turn it over at our 24. And despite the fact that we didn't make the football play and we didn't make the football call, the football guides reward us on this next drive. All right, first and 10 from our 24. They give it to Sayers, who gets nothing. And then Barry May drops back, throws the ball to the left side. It bounces up off his player's foot. Emmanuel Forbes nabs it, spins out of a tackle, and then the convoy is established. Emmanuel Forbes, 82 yards to the house, setting a brand-new SEC pick-six record. That is a really, really cool thing. It is amazing that this young man has the knack for this. It's absolute insanity to think. Emmanuel Forbes, every time he picks one off, you think he's going to bring it back, and he just about nearly dies. I'd like to see him get another one. And while, I guess while we're asking, maybe we'll get two this weekend. Or maybe one this weekend, one in the bowl game. How about that? All right, so he runs it back. Extra point is good. It's 28 nothing, And Raven, again, doesn't get the ball in the end zone. We, we cover it, but it's out at their 30. So we're basically giving them five yards here. I don't know if Ben's not 100% healthy. Or, and a lot of it's the weather, too. I mean, I don't want to be too hard on Ben Raven. The ball doesn't travel well when it's cold outside. You don't want to go kick that football either. But, I mean, just think about yourself. And, like, you ever played Sheriff's League softball? Well, of course you have. ball carries a lot more when the weather's warm. Same thing in baseball. I mean, how many times you go out to Duty Noble Field and all of a sudden we can't hit a home run in February or March, but then you get into the spring months and anything you hit towards left field finds a way to leak into the lounge. All right, 28 nothing, And, again, a back-to-back good series for the defense. Well, here's your third consecutive good series for the defense. First and 10 from their 30, it's incomplete to Cam Lewis. Then uh, Barrett May, their second quarterback, runs left side to bring up a third and three. And then it's incomplete to Isaiah Wilson. They punt. So three and out. So, again, the two sustained drives and three consecutive defensive possessions for Mississippi State. And the defense gets it done. All right, State gets the ball now at the um, – the punt was only 16 yards, just so you know. We could take over at our 47. Their punter – uh, look, honestly, and I hate to be disrespectful that young man, I'm sure he's working as, as best he can. We could probably pull kids out of the student section that could punt the football 16 yards. All right, first and 10 at our 47. Will Rogers complete to Woody for seven. On second and three, we go back to ducking, moves with chains. 
First and 10 from the ETSU 42. We hit Woody here, and again, you know, down the middle, Woody making people miss, 20 yards on the play, nearly in the red zone. Then the very next play, we go back to Woody, and there's Will Rogers getting out front, being a lead blocker. Who thought you'd see that happen? Guys, Will Rogers is a competitor. That didn't surprise me in the least. I, I did kind of laugh at him kind of throwing his shoulder into the guy. I mean, you just get out there and get in the way. But, uh, yeah, good to see. And a nice long running touchdown for Woody Marks. It is now 35 nothing. Extra point is good. Raven kicks off. It's fair caught at the 13. And again, another good defensive stretch. They get the first down on the very first play. Sailors gets loose for 11, moves the chains, and then that's it. That's absolutely it. So then Sailors, nothing. Sailors runs for a one-yard loss, and then Tyler Riddell is sacked. Sherman Timms with a sack there for 10 yards, and good for Big Sherm on senior day to get out there and make a big play. We, you know, that's a kid right there, too. That We got him, you know, out of Indianola Academy, former state champion. And he showed up and uh, has played as well as the scholarship guys. Of course, he eventually is put on scholarship. But there's a lot of walk-ons that show up and never make an impact. But we have certainly got a great contribution from Sherman Timms, who comes from a fine Bulldog family. All right, fourth and 21, and it's another punt. It's 28 yards. 28 yards, and a fair catch by Xavier Thomas. Xavier, really difficult opportunities because he did, guy simply couldn't kick the football. All right, now first and 10 at our 47. We hit Justin Robinson for 20. We're already on the move here. Uh, we'll go back to Woody and run it for four, and then on second and six, Will gets flushed again and runs for two yards, gets out of bounds. Uh, third and four, we're complete to Justin Robinson. However, they flag us for – Pass interference. And then we did not throw that ball behind the line of scrimmage. So as a result, there is a PI there. So third and 19. We can't convert. We do hit JJ for uh for eleven and then um end up having a punt. No, no, excuse me. We attempted the field goal here. Forty nine yards, no good. Really, outside of that and that craziness on that intentional grounding, um pretty much a perfect half for Mississippi State. You had that one lapse, you know, on that one play, the bad play call and bad, bad execution, and then this. So it's really two plays that you kind of take away in that first half, and then they have to take over, you know, it's a little bit left, and they, they run right and get 10 yards. It was really non-consequential or inconsequential, excuse me. But that gets you to the half. Stayed up 35 nothing. This one is not in doubt whatsoever. Why are so many dogs suffering from health issues? Actress Katherine Heigl, who's helped save over 16,000 dogs through her personal foundation, says they're seeing more issues than ever with dogs' joints, odors, and their health than ever before. After doing a ton of research, she feels there's one place we can all look to improve our dog's health, their food. What she's discovered is that many dog foods are made in a way they can actually create toxins that could possibly be wrecking our dog's health. And that's true for many of the premium brands as well. Fortunately, she's found that just by adding a few special superfoods to her dog's food, she saw huge transformations in their health. She's made a 20-minute video explaining step-by-step how any of us can do the same thing to see incredible changes in their dog's health. I've got five dogs. I do. I love them. I spend most of my time with them. In fact, Mojo, my mama blue healer, has helped me write six and a half books now. I want her to be as healthy and happy as possible. So if you feel like you do about your dogs the same way I do, let me encourage you to go to badlandsfood.com 
forward slash boneyard and watch Catherine's video right now. And again, that's badlandsfood.com forward slash boneyard. Be sure and check it out and make sure your pet is happier and healthier than ever. Hopefully this is the last time you hear this ad because with Chime Checking Account, features like fee-free overdraft up to $200 with SpotMe and getting paid up to two days early with direct deposit, you can probably treat yourself to an ad-free upgrade to spend more time listening to your favorite podcasts. Or at least grab yourself an extra morning latte this month. Join millions of Chime members who work on their financial progress with fee-free overdraft and no monthly fees. When you find new ways to save, you can reach your financial goals easier and still have the occasional treat. Take more control of your finances and say goodbye to monthly fees. Open your account in minutes at chime.com goals24. That's chime.com goals24. Chime feels like progress. Banking services and debit card provided by the Bancorp Bank N.A. or Stride Bank N.A. members FDIC. SpotMe eligibility requirements and overdraft limits apply. Terms and conditions apply. Go to chime.com disclosures for details. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, second half, we knew we'd see some young guys. Probably felt that we would start substitution uh, rotation pretty early in the third quarter. I'm thinking after the first possession. I mean, we've been there before, right, being down and come back. I mean, 35 points is quite the deficit. But, uh, you know, you want to respect the game, respect the opponent. But I really thought after maybe the first possession of the third quarter, we would start seeing some some big substitutions. We really did on defense. Took a little bit longer on offense. But uh, – ETSU receives the kick, first, uh, first and 10 from their 34. They run left side for three, and then they go to Juwan Martin, who gets nothing. Brings up a third and seven. The pass is complete to Will Huzzy. We talked about him in our preview last week. He gets 10 yards, makes it a first down. Trey Foster then runs for two yards, and then there's Jackie Matthews with the pick. So we kind of pick up where we left off. You know, already three interceptions for the Bulldog defense, but, uh, you know, despite their, their adjustments here, you know, we were ready to play. Again, defense played pretty well. Yes, it's an FCS opponent, but defense played outstanding. You want to have some confidence going into a big game like the Golden Egg. State also adjusted, did some things differently on offense despite a you know five-score first half. We come out, we're throwing the football here. And really, I thought we had some urgency here just trying to put this thing completely away. But uh, we're complete to Austin Williams for six. Uh, we miss Woody on second and four, brings up a third and four. We go back to Austin Williams, who gets a seven. First and 10, we hit to Caleb Ducking for 15. Then on first and 10, we go back to Austin Williams for six, makes it second and four, and we, you know, Woody gets loose again for a 19-yard run. First and goal at the five-yard line of the Buccaneers. Incomplete to Ra-Ra. I thought we got a little bit impatient here. I thought, some, you know, I thought, I'm not saying we took chances with a couple of these passes, but they were just things weren't there. Uh, and maybe you take more of a chance with a five-touchdown lead. But we're incomplete to rah-rah. They break it up. And then we go, try to go to ducking, and then it gets broken up again. But, you know, here we get going. You know, um, kind of lost my place here for a second there. <laughs> but, but uh, you know, reality of it is we, we get this drive going. And uh, second and four, we hit 19. 
uh, for uh, for Woody. And then we talk about the breakups here. Now I'm back. I'm back on. I'm back on track. Forgive me. I had to pause the show for a second. Mailman showed up. All right, third and five. We hit Austin Williams for a touchdown. Extra point is good. It's 42 nothing. Get a pretty good uh, kick here, 63 yards to the ETSU two, and they return it 13 yards out to the 15. So good coverage there. Marcus Banks with a big hit there. It's 42 nothing Bulldogs. And again, pretty decent series here. And we and you're starting to play some of the bandits here on defense. Second possession offensively for ETSU, and we've got many of the second teamers out here. And, and you'll hear that kind of in the in the um, in our recap here. But you can also see it if you go back and watch the game. But on first and ten from their 15, uh, Baron May rushes for seven. Dylan Lawrence on the tackle there. Second and three, May rushes again. Deshaun Page with a tackle there on first and ten. They run up the middle again. Jack Harris to Sean Page with the lick. If I remember correctly, this, um, yeah, it's a little bit later, but uh, that, that targeting call where they flagged Harris or flagged Page and they overturned it, it was absolutely the right call. We'll get that in a minute. I'll talk more about that then. Uh, second and six, May rushes again. Dylan Lawrence on the tackle. First and 10 at the ETSU 37. May rushes again, and it's like we're just trying to get out of here, right? They're just going to run the football, try to keep the clock running. Deshaun Page to Carlos Nicholson on the tackle. Second and eight, Trey Foster and runs for a three-yard loss. This is the play. This is the play. And uh, they flag him for targeting. It's overturned. Absolutely ridiculous tackle right there. And did it the way you want it done. Third and 11, Barry made an incomplete to uh, – towards DeCarlos Nicholson, who gets in there and breaks it up. And that was a very athletic play, too, because DeCarlos kind of flashed over there. I thought he had a chance to pick it, but he didn't. And there's a 29-yard punt, which I think was – I think that was the uh, the game long for Trace Kelly. State takes over now at our 35. Will Rodgers complete to Justin Robinson for 11? We're already out near midfield. Will Rodgers and runs again for five yards across midfield to the ETSU 49. Second and five, we're complete to Justin Robinson for 16, brings up a first down. First and 10, complete to Jameer Calvin for eight on senior day. Good for Jameer. Second and two, incomplete, back to Calvin. And on third and two, uh, we throw it toward Justin Robinson, and they flag them for PI. It was an obvious call. Makes it first and 10 now at the ETSU 10-yard line. We go to J.J. Jernigan for two. Then we're incomplete, trying to get Jameer in the end zone. I get it. I understand it. He's a good dude. Third and eight, we're complete to Justin Robinson for a touchdown. I thought he was out of bounds initially. And I said that. I said, oh, he's out. He's out. And then they show the replay, and Dave Murray says, he's lucky he got a toe down. He absolutely did. One of the best catches of the weekend. Great throw, and good job by Will to buy time, buy time, buy time, and then throw a strike to the end zone. Extra point is good. It's 49 nothing State. Ravens kickoff is returned 21 yards out to the ETSU 33. So, again, not – not a normal day with the weather, and not a normal Ben Rabin kicking day, too. And, again, I don't, I'm not faulting him for that. I'm just making an observation. Final possession of the third quarter. ETSU takes over with a minute seven left in the quarter. Uh, Trey Foster runs for three. Then they're incomplete to Cam Lewis, makes it a third and seven. And then Baron May runs for nothing. Sherman Timms, Deontay Anderson, good to call that name. Got high hopes for him on the tackle there. And, again, you're hearing a lot of names that you don't ordinarily hear which will hopefully save us some wear and tear heading into a short work week. All right, on fourth and seven, they decide to go for it, and uh, Tanquez ball gets absolutely blown up here. Loss of four, Sherman Timms on the tackle. 
They got Justin Robinson credit with a tackle here, but that's not correct. All right, so State takes over at the ETSU 32. This was that fake punt. Maybe Robinson was out there then. Yeah, it was a fake punt. Yeah. And I guess, hey, what do you got to lose, man? You're three and seven. You're down 42 nothing on the road in an SEC or 49 nothing in an SEC venue. Give it a shot. But it looked like um, kind of like the annexation of Puerto Rico or whatever that was that, that played Little Giants. All right, first and 10. If they're 32, Lovertich in the game now. Complete to Rai for 11. Go back to Caden Pope, seeing his first action, three yards there. Second and seven, we go to Xavier Thomas. Also good to see him out there running around. Five yards there, makes it third and two. We go back to Rara. They call P.I., another obvious call here. And to be honest with you, yes, we won in blowout fashion. I thought the game was well officiated. All right, first and two, Chance Levertich, complete to J.J. Jernigan. It's basically a toss, but it's a toss forward. And that's a wrinkle we started, you know, with in 2020. And so it looks like the halfback toss, but it's actually a toss forward with the way it's angled. So Lovertich credited with the touchdown pass. Jernigan with a touchdown reception rather than a carry. But either way, good for J.J. to get in the end zone on senior day. Extra points, good. Rabin, one of his best kicks of the day, down to the ETSU one. They return it 24 yards out to 25. And at this point, it's just about who all is going to play. All right. So ETSU takes over at the 25. Trey Foster runs left side for four. Adrian Johnson then runs right for four. Third and two, run for this one yard. Stacked up. So it's a three and out for the Bulldog defense. Even though the Bandits are in there, the second team guys, still making plays. You got Nick Mitchell making a tackle. You got Jordan Morant making a tackle. Demonte Russell in on a tackle. Cody Swanson in on a tackle. Ty Cooper on a tackle. Those are important names for the future. 29-yard punt, which, again, maybe that's the, the – the, we'll look at it again. But, again, this kid couldn't do it. There's hope for everybody. And, again, I hate to belabor the point at this young man's expense, but, you know, it was not a good day. All right, first and 10 at the State 37. Lovertich goes deep to Caden Pope for 14. That's deep for us, I guess. Now we're out in their midfield. First and 10, J.J. Jernigan runs at the middle for four. Lovertich then hits Marquez Dorch, his first reception's bulldog, if I'm not mistaken, uh, for one yard. On third and five, Lovertich is sacked here. This is just – it all just kind of blew up on us right here. Fourth and 12 – the punt is blocked. At this point, I'm wondering, we've already looked up. When's our last shutout? Well, it's 2017 against Charleston Southern. We have first shutout since then. Been a long time. And then it wasn't the defense that gives it up. It's special teams. It's blocked, returned for a touchdown. And it sucked, man. It did. It's like, it's the fly in the ointment, right? It's like things are going great, and then this happens. You know, special teams, and that's the thing that worries me about. There's going to be – we're going to have a special teams miscue on Thursday because it happens every week in some respect and every single week. All right, so they go uh, – they kick the extra point. It's good. We finally get a chance to, to return a kickoff again. And if it's left up to you guys, I would not uh, – I, I don't even – I don't like returning kicks. As much as it's fun to watch Tulu, I think maybe one to two kickoffs a game is just fine for our opponents. Zavion Thomas returns at 27 yards out of the state 33, and it looked like he had a lane there for a second. He might uh, break it loose. Sawyer Robertson now in the game. Uh, we, we swing it out to Zavion for a one-yard loss and uh, probably a pass that shouldn't have been thrown. But, again, you know, Sawyer's just kind of getting out there trying to make things happen. I, again, I don't fault him for any of this. Very next pass is picked off. So his first two attempts in this ballgame, negative one and then a pick. 
and he'll be better for that. He will be. He is a better quarterback than he showed on Saturday. Defense does a good job here, and I, and I keep harping on Trace Kelly. He made me look silly here. So first and ten, uh, McCorvey goes for a one-yard gain. Then it's a run. Then it's a four-yard gain for May, and then it's incomplete. And then Trace Kelly pulls off a forty-nine-yard punt, bounce and roll punt there. So congratulations, Trace. In your face, Rose Bowl. Down in the state seven. State takes over, 548 to play in the game. Javaris Buford comes in, a walk-on running back, giving him an opportunity to play. He runs for 15. First down. Go back to him for three. Sawyer Robertson incomplete to Caden Pope, makes it third and seven. And then Sawyer Robertson gets loose here, and he shows a little bit of his athleticism and mobility. I don't know that Will makes this play because Sawyer made a guy kind of miss, and he fought forward, got the first down, kind of showed his competitive nature. It's first and ten. Complete to Caden Pope for six. And we're incomplete to Buford. Ball is broken up there. And then incomplete uh, to Marquez Dorch. We end up punting fourth and four. Actually got this one away, 39 yards. But a 19-yard return. J.P. Purvis on the tackle. Three minutes and 20 seconds to go in the game. This is the final possession for either team. They're ready to get the game over, as are we. Uh, run up the middle for nine, back to the middle for three, which makes it first and ten. Two-yard loss then. Big tackle there by Ty Cooper and Jevin Banks. Second and 12. Uh, they run left side for one-yard gain. Jordan Morant making a tackle there. And then on third and 11, they just basically run up the middle. We're running dive here to get it over. Jevin Banks on the tackle. That's the last play. And that's your ball game. Mississippi State wins 56-7, to much like we expected. And again, to me, the blemish is that stupid block punt. Oh, it drives me crazy. Absolutely drives me crazy. All right, let's look at the uh, individual numbers here. ETSU, 6 of 18 passing. Three picks. So we caught half as many passes as they did. Will Rogers, 30 of 37, a very efficient 30 of 37, and a couple of those incompletions or throwaways. But 30 of 37, 301 yards, five touchdowns, and sacked just the one time. Chance Lovertich, a perfect six for six on his uh, possessions, 36 yards, the one touchdown, and it was also sacked one time. So we get two sacks on the day. Woody Marks, five carries for 58 yards, 11.6 yards a carry. But for some reason, on fourth and one, we decided to throw it. Your, your second leading rusher, Javaris Buford. How about that? Just two carries for 18 yards. J.J. Jernigan also three for 12. But, uh, yeah, D.J. not carrying the football. Expect him to be full go this week or close to it. You know, it's good to rest him. All right, look at the receiving numbers. Justin Robinson led the group five catches for 62 yards, a touchdown. Tulu with a pair of touchdowns on four catches and 53 yards. Ra-Ra, a touchdown on four catches and 36. Woody, four for 44. So, a very efficient day for Woody Marks. And I don't think the workload was too you know, significant. I mean, not that he's not willing to carry it, but uh, I don't think we overloaded him. He shouldn't be too sore at this point. Uh, I'm a huge Woody Marks fan. He has a, he's a, a burst. When he sees the hole, he just has a different gear. All right, looking at the uh, defensive numbers. And, again, when the defense dominates the way it does, you don't really fill up the box score. But it's good to see so many names on this list, which means that uh, – you know, we spread the wear and tear out. Jed Johnson leads the team with nine. And then Deshaun Page, second-team backer with eight. One of them a TFL. Sherman Timms with six. Good game for him. Had the sack, of course, and two TFLs. Jevin Banks, six. Reserve. Also a half tackle for a loss. Jordan Morant, five tackles. Buki Watson, four. Marcus Banks, three. Reserve. Randy Charlton with three. Jack Harris, reserve, three. Colin Duncan with three. Dylan Lawrence, a reserve, three. J.P. Purvis with three. Nick Mitchell with three. Ty Cooper with three. Jalen Green with two. 
DeCarlos with two. So you see what I'm saying? I mean, we can keep going here. But we did not stress the defense. You know, they obviously they weren't going to be much of a threat. But we didn't play guys unnecessarily. And, of course, there's, you know, Ty Weed, of course, uh, kind of limped off the field. People were kind of concerned about that. I, I hear he's fine. But, uh, you know, this time of year, it's like any injury in cold weather and it may be a wet track in Oxford. I mean, you know, I don't expect him to be 100%, but we'll see. You know, we'll see how things go. And Mike Leach is not going to tell us anything today at the press conference. I'll go ahead and tell you that. But uh, not about injuries. He's going to have a lot to say about everything else. But we're not going to get anything about the injuries. But uh, – Three picks for the Bulldog defense. Of course, the one return for a touchdown, Emmanuel Forbes, now alone in the record books. So, yeah, Trace Kelly, to get back to Trace's big day, six punts, average of 31.7, the 49-yarder kind of bailed him out there. But congratulations to, uh, to him. So that's your ball game. Again, we did a really good job looking at real team numbers, I guess. Uh, they had 11 first downs with 27. They ran – for 111 yards. That's it. We had 76. Passing, they threw for 43. So total offense, uh, just 154 yards for them, 418 for us. Rather significant, I guess you'd say. But, you know, when I go back and think about, you know, the, those drives for ETSU to, to begin the uh, – yeah, to begin the game. You know, they had 32 yards on their first drive and 42 on a second. You know, so that's 74 yards on their, their first two drives of the game. And you start looking at total offense here, you know, it's like half of their offense was the first two drives of the game. And from there, we limited them. And so hopefully, because we've seen those concepts and how people perhaps may want to attack us, maybe we can shore some things up as we prepare, you know, for the battle for the golden egg, um, you know, later this week. All right, time for today's top 10 list is always brought to you by CloseWithBlair.com. That's C-L-O-S-E with Blair, B-L-A-I-R.com, CloseWithBlair.com. Blair is a mortgage professional. There are a lot of people out there that are in the mortgage business. Blair is a pro. This guy's a closer. Top 1% close ratio in the country, back-to-back years. 21 years of experience in the industry. Anybody that stays in any industry 20-plus years, it's a person that gets things done. Whether you're looking to refinance your home, get some cash out, perhaps consolidate some debt, Blair can help you navigate through the labyrinth that is mortgage loan origination. He works for Fairway Mortgage, recently voted number one in customer satisfaction when it comes to that venture. Be sure and check him out. Give him a call or text today on his personal cell number. Not a line that goes to a call center or anything like that. It goes directly to Blair. Blair's phone number is 601-500-2344. Again, 601-500-2344. Call or text today. Mention to him you heard about him on the Boneyard, and he will pay for your appraisal. That's about a $500 value. Again, that's closeofblair.com. All right, Nathan Hutchinson recently reached out and said, Steve, we haven't done country in a while. We started to do this on Friday, but Roy reminded me we had not done the Rock of Tennessee I guess we could do the Rock of Mississippi one day this week, and we will. The Rock of Tennessee list was a good one. A lot of Christian rock in that in that that list too. I think it was four of the ten were Christian rock bands. But today we're doing the possum. That's right, no show Jones, George Jones, considered by many to be the greatest country western male vocalist of all time, an incredible songwriter. You want to see some true poetry? Dial up some George Jones stuff. 
Even if you're not a country music fan, you can appreciate the talent of the incredible George Jones. Passed away back in 2013. He's got to struggle with alcoholism much of his life. I did not include any of his duets with Tammy Wynette. And those, many of those were outstanding. Of course, they, they divorced. And much of that attributed to his alcoholism. So let's do our top 10 today. The number 10 is a song that George didn't write. It goes all the way back to the 50s. It's written by the Big Bopper. It's the song White Lightning. Of course, it's a song about moonshine. Maybe you're somewhat familiar. Makes sense for people that live in the hills of Tennessee. But White Lightning, number 10. Number 9, a song that I can remember. My dad, my dad, Freddie Robertson, worked for Farmers Home Administration for 33 years part of the United States Department of Agriculture, the only job he held as an adult. He left Mississippi State with a degree in agricultural economics with a minor in animal husbandry and went to work for Farmer's Home trying to make things better for Mississippi farmers. Only job he ever had, 33 years. Crazy. But the race is on is our number nine song, in honor of my dad. And even though maybe that didn't necessarily uh, you know, typify his life, it was a song that... My dad really liked a lot. And I remember hearing it a lot. We'd ride around and have the A-track on because I'm from the 1900s. Number eight, What My Woman Can't Do. And there weren't a lot of songs that George wrote that necessarily were, uh, were huge about positive relationships. He wrote a, lot, wrote a lot of driving and crying songs. But What My Woman Can't Do just simply can't be done. It'd be nice to have a woman like that in your life, right? I mean, that's how you'd feel about her, that she's a superhero. And many of us are, you know, married to people like that, that we think the absolute best of. I am one of those people. What my woman can do can be done. All right, number seven, another positive relationship song, Always Get Lucky With You. Always Get Lucky With You. At that point, it seems George is in a good good place, right? Well, the rest of our list that... Um, it gets a little different, right? Because I think the better George Jones songs, the most emotional songs written by George Jones was about love lost. And it's still doing time. Number six, still doing time. Another one of those drinking and crying type songs. Number five, who's going to fill their shoes? That's another great one there. A lot of people that believe that is among the top five. The top five. So it's in our top five. Not that we need the collective opinion to feel good about our own list, but that's a great one. Number four is choices. And what I love, too, about the great balladeers like George Jones is they, the songs tell a story. I mean, there's a lot of things now. Things are written so cryptically. You're not exactly sure what the songs are about. They leave a lot left up to interpretation. Choice is not one of those. Number three, it's the Grand Tour. Classic song, man. The guitar is great. The tone is great. The tenor of the song is great. There's just so much about this song to like. Number two, probably, I suspect this one is very much uh, autobiographical for George. If drinking don't kill me, and then the subtitle is Her Memory Will. We've all been there too. I remember those days, man, riding around as a kid, as a teenager. You think your life is just going to absolutely fall apart if somebody breaks up with you. Riding around, listening to Vince Gill, getting drunk, you know. We've all had that. And that's the thing, too. You think about, you know, I talk about this with some of you guys, too. When it comes to substance abuse, there is always a crisis, real or imagined, that pushes people 
maybe through the line and through the wall of, of problem drinking to full-blown alcoholism. And much of that is uh, failed relationships. It was for me. You know, that was the big thing for me. My, my give-a-crap meter broke. You know, then you start feeling all self-destructive. You don't value your own life. That's one of the things I'll share, too, about addiction is that you know, as someone that works with people all the time when it, when it comes to substance abuse and chemical dependency, it is impossible, it is impossible to convince somebody that their life has value or that they, to save their life if they don't believe it. If they don't believe that there is value in living, it is impossible to save that person. So one of the things you have to do is convince them that life is worth living. And a lot of times they're not ready to accept that it's about themselves because they have such self-esteem issues and feel that they're worthless. So you have to suggest to them, hey, there are people that love you and depend on you. And, uh, but um, it's important to understand that. You know, and I hate to give too many platitudes as we go through the top ten list, but uh, you know, addiction is a real and powerful thing. And if I make it to December 10th, it'll be 31 years, clean and sober. Really proud of that. Always happy to share that because there's so many people when I first came into the program that you know were leaders in the Hattiesburg business community. I had no idea they were alcoholics, and, and they shared so much of themselves very transparently. And I'm like, this guy's got so much to lose. Why is he admitting all this stuff out here in the public? Well, it really wasn't public. You know, there's the sanctity of the AA recovery room, but the reality of it is, is that um, addiction's no respecter of persons. A lot of people see all this as an issue of morality. They think, oh, I'm. My child or my wife or my husband's an alcoholic or they're, you know, addicted to pills or whatever. And so I don't want to tell anybody because I'm ashamed of what people may do or say. Guys, when we're in crisis mode, it doesn't matter what the court of public opinion has to say. You do what you have to do to say the people you love. But number one, one of the greatest songs ever written and performed. I think everybody would agree this is the George Jones song. And it's He Stopped Loving Her Today. And again, it's about a guy that loved a woman his entire life. Even though they had broken up. And she came to see him in his final days. But the reality of it is, is he never got over her. Never did. He had gone through all her old love letters and underlined every I love you in red. And he loved her until the day he died. It's a wonderful song. They placed a wreath upon his door, you know, because he passed away. He had held up his end of the deal even though she didn't. But he loved her until the very end, even though he didn't have her. An amazing song. Absolutely amazing song. That's your top ten list. If you have ideas for the top ten list, reach out and let us know. We'll be happy to do them. It may take us a while, but we'll get to them. The best way to do it is to hit up Roy on Twitter at Dogmatic67. That's D-A-W-G-M-A-T-I-C-6-7. Give, that, give Roy a follow. He will not flood your timeline with pictures of his food or, like, you know, his dog, you know, doing human-like things. He's not going to do that, you know. Not going to have a lot of memes, you know. Basically, you're going to follow him, and you'll see, like, you know, five tweets a week, and, like, three of them are top ten list. So be sure and follow him. And, of course, on Spotify, follow Roy at Dogmatic67, and these lists will auto-populate for you. You subscribe to him. You pull up your Spotify. You can find our list. And, goodness, man, we're coming up on 400 of these things. It's pretty crazy. So, again, happy to do an absolute country music legend today, George Jones. God rest his soul, George. Our time for an SEC recap brought to you by CampusBookmart.net. I love Campus Bookmart. You will, too. It is uh, in your best interest to do business there. The best selection of Mississippi State merchandise anywhere. The bully shop's been completely renovated. 
it's all upstairs now. So it saves you that walk down the stairs. And then for many of us, that walk up the stairs. But uh, you'll enjoy your time there. So many wonderful people there that are part of so many wonderful things, doing a great job for a great fan base. If you can't make it to town to see them, visit them on the World Wide Web at campusbookmart.net. It's Christmas time. Many of the people on your Christmas list would love to have new Mississippi State merch. Treat them with a gift from Campus Bookmart. Go to campusbookmart.net. Use promo code BSR, which stands for Beautiful Steve Robertson. That gets you free shipping on all orders over 75 bucks. Any order less than $75, absolutely incomplete. Again, that's campusbookmart.net. Promo code BSR. So pretty crazy weekend in the SEC. We had a couple things that we weren't expected to happen. And that's one of the reasons we love it, right? It's so unpredictable. That's the fun in all this. But, uh, you know, the morning games pretty much went to script with one, I guess, one potential exception. Alabama beats Austin P 34 nothing. Kind of a ho-hum performance from Alabama. But, you know, really, who cares, right? They were, they're only up 7 nothing after one quarter. Alabama people were losing their minds on Twitter. With the Iron Bowl coming up, you know, you'd want your team trending in the right direction. Auburn's got a full head of steam. Alabama, of course, uh, you know, wraps up the non-conference portion of the regular season schedule. But 34 nothing. And, uh, again, it looks like Alabama got out of the game in pretty good shape. Of course, State wins 56-7. We've already recapped that ad nauseum. But A&M, 20-3 against UMass. UMass was 1-9 coming into this game. And they made a game of it. It's insanity. Jimbo. Not like this, buddy. It's 3-0 after 1. And then it's a tie game with just 5.45 to go in the first half. And there was nobody there. You can only begin to imagine how tense things must have been. Connor Wegman with a touchdown pass to uh, Noah Thomas makes it 10-3 at the break. Not much going on in the third quarter. The only scoring in the third quarter was a Randy Bond field goal to make it 13-3, which really, I guess, put the game away considering the – talent differential between the two, but then uh, Le'Veon Moss runs one in late to make it 20-3. to So it's a win, but in many ways it feels like a loss. A&M now 4-7, and and again, the only SEC team heading into the final week of the season not eligible for a bowl game. Everybody else still in the mix, and I got some news to share about that as we get done with our recap. Vanderbilt with one of the biggest wins in the Clark Lee era. Yes, they beat Kentucky. This is a bigger one, I think because of Florida's recent dominance over Vanderbilt. Yes, Kentucky is a better team, but Florida's been playing well as of late. And uh, when you look at this Florida thing, too, this thing, it's year one, so you're not going to say it's a mistake because we talked about that last week. Kirby goes 7-5 and his first year in Georgia, then plays for a national title a year later. But Vandy had not beaten Florida in Nashville in forever and a day, and they get it done. 31-24 is the final there. No matter what you say about Clark Lee, that guy's a stud, man. He is. And he loves Vanderbilt, so he's not going to be looking for the next big job. You know, Vanderbilt gets down early in this ball game. They hold to a field goal, but it's a 3-0 game after one. And then Vandy begins to exert themselves. Mike Wright with a touchdown pass after an 81-yard drive, 12 plays, makes it 7-3. Florida comes back, has to settle for a field goal, makes it 7-6. And then there is the... Special teams miscue. Ball is recovered in the end zone for a touchdown. It's 14-6 Vandy. At the break, the few thousand people that were there 
were beside themselves with glee. Florida comes back, scores on the opening possession of the second half, and they go for two, and they don't get it. I don't agree with going for two there. It always feels like the right move if you make it. But I don't know why you're chasing points this early. And, of course, maybe it's respect for the Vanderbilt defense, but you just kick it there in my estimation. Vandy answers. They go right back down the field and score and makes it 21-12. to Now it's a two-possession game again. So you think Florida's going to trade possessions? No, they don't. Vandy gets a stop. Vandy puts it back in the end zone. It's 28-12 after three. Florida then scores on a big touchdown pass to Dejon Reynolds for 74 yards. They go for two again, and that's what happens. You start chasing the points here. If you had kicked earlier, right, you kick earlier, you're not in this situation. It'd been 13, so it'd be extra point here makes it a one-possession game. But instead, now you have to go for two. They don't get it again, and it's a 10-point game. Insanity. Vandy goes down, kicks a field goal, makes it 31-18. At this point, the game's over. Dejon Reynolds, another touchdown pass, makes it 31-24. And then Florida ends up with the ball back, but uh, can't really do anything with it. They, the, they attempt to throw the Hail Mary, and Anthony Richardson basically throws it in the locker room. But Richardson wasn't all bad, though. 25-42, 400 yards, three touchdowns, and a pick. But Mike Wright is kind of getting things done. 10 of 16, 108 yards, three touchdowns. And uh, Ramford is 13 yards. But a good job of kind of distributing things. But running the football, you know, Davis goes for over 120 yards against this Florida defense. But uh, not a lot of uh, excitement about Napier Ball at this point. I do think that he will be okay. But my goodness, not the year many of them anticipated. Georgia wins a grudge match at Kentucky. And, you know, it's, uh, and I thought Kirby said it best. Especially in their backyard, they're going to shorten the game on you, limit your possessions, and then all of a sudden the anxiety gets to you. It's like, hey, we should be running away from these guys. That's Kentucky's game. Slow it down, limit possessions, make you do things maybe you ordinarily wouldn't do, try to get a little separation to force you into some mistakes, and then they just kind of manage the game along and hopefully hit a big play on you. But Georgia wins, and of course it's just 9 nothing at the break. And then Georgia with a big touchdown there in the third quarter to make it a 16-0 game. And I think at that point we all knew how this thing was going to end up. Really thought Georgia would win and cover. They weren't able to do so. Kentucky with a touchdown um, midway through the fourth quarter to make it interesting, but uh, really was not the game they needed to have. Will Levis, a better game for him, 20 of 31 for this 206 yards. Average completion, 6.6. One touchdown, one interception. Chris Rodriguez, 17 carries, just 51 yards. And that, this is what we wanted to do to Kentucky. Slow the running game down, put the game in Will Levis's lap, and then make him beat you, and he couldn't do it. Uh, Barry and Brown, big game for them. That's a guy that, uh, you know, they've got to find a way to hang on to him. Ten catches, 145 yards. And, you know, think about that, 145 yards of Levis's passing that one guy. But uh, not a good day for Kentucky, but better than maybe we anticipated. Maybe the hottest team in the SEC right now, Auburn. 41-17 win of Western Kentucky. And this was 17-17 at the break. Auburn dominates the second half. They shut them out 24-0 in the second half of the ballgame. DJ James from a Bulldog commitment with a pick six to really kind of remove all doubt there. Robbie Ashford, 8 of 19. Kid can't throw the football, but they're still getting some some things done with them. But 102 yards passing, Tank Bigsby and Jarquez Hunter both go over 100 yards. Pretty good day. And again, Cadillac mania 
running wild on the plains. 41-17 winners sets up this huge, huge, huge Iron Bowl. Not ready to pick Auburn, but I do expect Auburn to go give them a game. Can you imagine that pregame speech from Cadillac Williams? He'd have all of us ready to go play Alabama. The surprise of the day, the route of Tennessee at the hands of South Carolina. And you may remember last year, Tennessee runs a score up on South Carolina. Shane Beamer and those guys returning the favor. Tennessee in a hole pretty much from the outset. Spencer Rattler, probably your SEC player of the week, leads them down for a touchdown, and then they tie it. And then after that, it was pretty much all South Carolina. Rattler with two more touchdown passes, three in the first quarter to make it 21-7. It felt like that that second quarter to Tennessee had figured some things out. But they just never could seem to, to kind of catch up here. You know, they get the touchdown from Hendon Hooker, who is now lost for the season, unfortunately. Thoughts and prayers to him and his family. They go down and score on a long drive there in the second quarter, and then South Carolina answers. And then when you've got a chance to kind of answer yourself, you have to settle for a field goal. That made an 11-score game, and really at that point, the game was over because Spencer Rattler takes him right back down on a nine-play 75-yard drive, and it's 35-17. Tennessee scores right before the break, and you think, okay, coming out of the half, they'll pull even. They'll have a chance to pull even. They score, and they're within four. You just need to get a stop, and they couldn't get it. South Carolina scores again, 42-31. Another impressive drive, nine plays, 65 yards. In the fourth quarter, it was just, you know, whatever South Carolina wanted. They get the ball back, go up another lengthy drive, 11 plays, 75 yards, 49-31, then 56-31, then 63-31, and then Joe Milton the third comes in and uh, throws a touchdown pass in relief of Hendon Hooker. But it was basically academic. It was all Gamecocks all the time in this ballgame. And what a tremendous performance for the Gamecocks. I doubted them. I didn't think they had the juice on defense. And I thought in the end that this could be a game that would be entertaining. I thought that maybe, uh, you know, maybe a 38-20 type game. I never thought South Carolina would hang 63. But it is clear that the South Carolina offensive staff found out what was going on with Tennessee, and they exploited it at every opportunity. All right, as expected, Arkansas beats Ole Miss, and uh, the score of this game, not truly indicative of how bad it was. I know everybody says, but look at the stats. You know, my answer to that is always, uh, look at the scoreboard. What does the scoreboard indicate? When we stop deciding games on points, I will worry about the rest. It's not about what you gain, it's about what you score. I mean, how many times did we go through this in 2020 with us? We're putting up all these yards, but we're not finishing drives. Same thing here. You felt like Ole Miss needed to get off to a good start. It's cold. It's miserable. Pretty good crowd, all things considered. But you're on the road. It's going to be a short work week. You need to start fast. And Ole Miss didn't. Arkansas jumps up early 7-0. They end up holding, you know, and getting another opportunity here to go up 14-0. Now, there was some bad calls in this game, too. You know, it's happened to us, too. I mean, I'm not going to sit here and cry for Ole Miss. But there were there was one that P.I. for sure. I thought the holding was legit. But they call P.I. on the D.B. I think it was Miles Slusher that interfered with Malik Heath. And he clearly interfered. They throwed the flag, and then somebody says, hey, nah, it's not interference. Well, somebody saw something. And we, saw, we all saw the replay. 
At the very least, it's holding. But the ball is in the air, so by the rules of the game, it's pass interference. And they throw a flag and pick it up. And I've seen people, well, we have these two, you know, you know, touchdowns called back for holding. Well, those were legit holds. But I think Ole Miss fans have a beef. They had a beef last week, too, about some things. But uh, Arkansas wins. And we've talked about that for weeks as this thing begins to play out. Arkansas was going to beat Ole Miss, and they did. And you look up, and it's 42-6 to after three. And then Sam Pittman and those guys kind of uh, took the foot off the gas. Ole Miss scored some touchdowns late. You look at the numbers and say, man, look at these big numbers. A lot of that came late. Ole Miss had some good possessions in that first half, just couldn't finish drives. You know, and the pick, I thought, right before the half was an absolute killer. Jackson Dart just never saw uh, the linebacker there. He's, you know, he's looking for that inside slant, never looks off the backer, throws it right to him, and then Arkansas ultimately turns that into points. So big win for Arkansas as they're now bowl eligible. Missouri wins as expected, 45-14. We thought that one would be, you know, exactly what it became to be, 45-14. Wasn't sure about the spread, but uh, Missouri, no issue whatsoever. And they keep their bowl hopes alive. Big ball game on Friday between Arkansas and Missouri. Big. Not so big for Arkansas. Huge for Missouri. Arkansas's in. And Arkansas's basically up to the mercy of the SEC about where they're going to go, whether that be the Liberty Bowl or Music City or whatever. You know, Missouri trying to get in that same discussion. LSU, one of the only teams in the uh, you know, top six or seven that didn't have a challenge this week in some respects. It's 14-7 after one, and from there it was all Tigers. The final 41-10. Who thought we'd be sitting talking about this right now? I mean, honestly, did the Tiger, the LSU Tigers on the cusp of the playoffs? Could it happen? Yeah, I guess it's possible. They could beat Georgia. We could both get in, but I don't see it. But Jaden Daniels, really good game for him. 22 of 29, average depth of completion, 10.2 yards, 297 yards, a touchdown, and he runs for 111. Kid has really come on. And I, I didn't think he'd survive the season as much as they were having to run him early on. But, uh, you know, this is not a bad UAB team. It's not a good one either. They're going to finish the year around 500. But, um, you know, Tigers take care of business. Now 9-2 and two with a road trip to A&M left. Let's take a quick look at, the, at this week's schedule. We'll preview that on Wednesday. Tomorrow we're going to talk Egg Bowl history. But um, let's take a quick look at, uh, at this next week's schedule. It's rivalry week. Pretty exciting stuff for a lot of us. You know, and again, I'll be on the road listening to a lot of this stuff, but uh, looking forward to that too. Looking forward to the road trip. All right, so State, of course, and Ole Miss play in Oxford on Thursday. Arkansas and Missouri Friday afternoon, and then Florida, Florida State Friday night. So a chance to watch some really good ball games on Friday. And then your Saturday slate, Georgia Tech at Georgia. That's an 11 a.m. game. That'll be on ESPN. Also, South Carolina at Clemson. That's an ABC game. And at this point, can you, can, you, can you claim, can you say that Clemson will absolutely um, destroy South Carolina? No, you can't. Clemson better take the Gamecock seriously because it's clear Tennessee didn't and South Carolina did what they wanted to do. I bet South Carolina are, is chomping at the bit to get a Clemson. They hadn't won there in forever. That's an intriguing game now. That's your 11 a.m. game on ABC. And the afternoon games are kind of interesting. Louisville at Kentucky – Louisville with a big win last week. Not sure how we're going to pick this game yet, but Louisville at Kentucky. Rivalry game, it's always an important one. That's the 3 o'clock game. That's opposite your CBS game, which is the Iron Bowl. That's all of a sudden got awfully intriguing too. 
LSU at A&M, does anybody give A&M any chance at all to keep this game close? I, I don't. I, I think when you look at all these games, you know, outside of Georgia, Georgia Tech, there's no way that A&M keeps this game close. I mean, right? Unless LSU just implodes. And Tennessee at Vanderbilt, the new resurgent Vanderbilt. We should see a very motivated Tennessee team this week. But you begin to look at Vanderbilt right now. Can you take anything for granted? You absolutely cannot. The Tennessee is better than Kentucky, and Tennessee is better than Florida as the on-the-field results show. But Vanderbilt will make a game of this. Now let's look at the standings real quick. We'll kind of give you an update, too. There's some other bold news I want to share with you, some news that was shared with me this morning that uh, is awfully interesting. Okay, so, of course, Georgia and LSU locked into the championship game. The divisions have been won. But as you look at it now, who gets into the New Year Six and up? Well, I think it should be Georgia, Tennessee, LSU, and Alabama. And probably at this point, barring an upset, Georgia is the only SEC team that will be in the playoffs. And that might be good for college football, so we'll stop hearing about all this stuff. But at this point, I would forecast Georgia, Tennessee, LSU, Alabama, and the New Year Six, which means that the Citrus Bowl is there, just kind of lingering around there. State is in the mix there. Doesn't mean we're the projected favorite. Doesn't mean we're going to get it. Some things have to happen. But let's say South Carolina loses to Clemson. And let's say Mississippi State beats Ole Miss. Well, then State and Ole Miss would both be 8-4. and four. South Carolina would be 7-5. and five. So the Citrus gets to make their pick, independent of the SEC office. Well, you're not going to pick Ole Miss over State with Ole Miss on a three-game losing streak and State having the tiebreaker. So if it plays out like that, the four go up, Clemson wins, State beats Ole Miss, State in a good position to get the Citrus. A good position. Not going to say they're going to get it, but let's just say State would make the conversation very interesting. And then from there, you're pulled to six bowls. And if you're Ole Miss, I mean, how disappointed you got to be, you know, to think you may be competing for the the SEC title and then – you miss out on a New Year's Six, you lose the egg, and you end up having to go play in a pool of six game, which could still be a good game in Florida somewhere, which is a great trip. And a few years ago, we'd all been happy with that. But I think the way that this is season built for them, it's kind of ending the way many of us anticipated, you know, with them you know, playing some real competition and losing. But, you know, we're going to have to play our best game to beat these guys. No doubt about it. Absolutely going to have to play our best game. We're going to have to play better on offensively on the road than we have at any point. All right, Kentucky now six and five. Let that sink in for a second. Six and five. Even worse than I expected. I thought they would be an eight and four team. There's a chance they're six and six when it's all said and done. And you've lost now two in a row. And like of the last, you've lost three of the last four. And the one you won was the one at Missouri in a nip and tug game there. So it's not like Kentucky has played very well offensively. Kind of look at the numbers here. I mean, like I'm looking here. The last time that they scored more than 24 points was against us. They won 27-17. But since that time, they have not broken the 21-point threshold. That's pretty crazy to think about. And you look at, I mean, all throughout the year, once you've got an SEC play, they've really struggled to score points, and they're supposed to have a first-round draft pick at quarterback. So what does that mean, right? But Kentucky now is going to face Louisville 7-4. and four. The Cardinals have won five of the last six. The lone loss at Clemson, 31-16. While the record is not gaudy, the trend is very encouraging. 
You went at Virginia, you beat Pitt, you beat number 10 Wake Forest, you beat James Madison, who was kind of the, you know, the, the lovely Cinderella story earlier this year. You lose at Clemson, you beat NC State, who was a top 25 team. So it's not like they're just beating up on the, you know, the, the Mississippi School of Math and Science. You got two top 25 wins here uh, in the last month. Like the way this thing is trending, even though the game is in Kentucky, in Lexington. Could Kentucky finish 6-6? Six and six? And you saw over the weekend that they just uh, elevated Mark Stoops' salary. I was told it was going to be in close to $9 million. It ends up being about $8.4 million. But uh, Kentucky now 6-5 and five and staring 6-6 six and six right in the face. Florida, 6-5. and five, And, of course, they got that Friday night game in Florida State. You start looking at that and you begin to wonder, is Florida going to be 6-6 six and six again for the second straight year? Certainly could be. And a lot of people are blaming Dan Mullen for that. You know, Mullen didn't do this. Mullen didn't do that. You know, I, I don't know who to blame, but it's weird to see Florida in its, in its predicament. And Florida State now, 19th in the country. They're 8-3 and three and have won four in a row. Georgia Tech, Miami, Syracuse, two of those coming on the road, and then they beat UL Lafayette. And so they will, they will host Florida. We talk about the East, you know, about how everything is, you know, so skewed, you know, for the upper half of that division. The bottom half of this Eastern division has been very competitive, but there's really not a great team down there. You know, South Carolina right now is, is in line to, uh, to finish third in the division. How about that? Because Kentucky, they've, everybody's played their eight games with the exception of uh, Missouri and Vanderbilt, and the best they can do is three and five. So South Carolina has clinched the third-place spot in the SEC East. Congratulations to Shane Beamer. I shouldn't have doubted you, but I did. Now, we talk about Missouri and Vanderbilt. I am told today, due to some APR success, that Vandy and Mizzou could still get a ball game at 5-7. and seven. So we've talked about not being able to fill our spots. Well, now there's a possibility we will because it doesn't look like there's going to be enough bowl-eligible teams. So now all of a sudden my whole conspiracy theory about Missouri and Arkansas, when I find out that Missouri actually could make it on the APR, you begin to think now, well, maybe we don't need to call in the code red, right? Maybe you don't. But you could have a scenario here where every team in the SEC East makes a bowl game. I don't know how many years we've been able to say that. It's the lesser division because they play each other. And as we, to kind of jump back to Kentucky, too, I looked at this yesterday. If memory serves me correct, in Mark Stoops' tenure that started in 2013, that they are 2-10 and 10 against the SEC West. 2-10. and 10. They've only played – let me find my notes here. I want to go real quickly here. I get so tired of everybody talking about, oh, you know, Kentucky is the same level of state. Okay, so I just don't agree that that's the case. I'm flipping through here. You can hear me flipping, but I don't know that I have it. But, um, but nevertheless – they have not played – I think they've played Alabama like three times, played Auburn twice, played LSU a couple times, played Ole Miss three times. I mean, these are the teams that we play every year. I think you played A&M once. You know, it's like, yeah, if we get to play Missouri, Vanderbilt, South Carolina every year instead of Alabama or Arkansas, you know, give me a break. It's like people just keep propping this thing up. And I, and I agree, somebody made a comment. They thought that Mark Stoops may have the best – coaching job in America, and I think they may be right. Moderate expectations and a favorable schedule. Let's see what Kentucky looks like when they change the schedule rotation and you don't get the benefit of playing Vanderbilt 
in Missouri and South Carolina every year. But anyway, you may have everybody in the East go. The way if the APR works out the way that it does, everybody in the East could make it. Look at the uh, SEC West. LSU, of course, uh, nine and two overall, and uh, they still have a conference game left to play. But even if if they lose and Alabama wins and there is a tie, LSU holds a tiebreaker. So LSU, Alabama, and I suspect too, um, I don't think that Alabama would put up a banner claiming an SEC West championship this year. Maybe I'm wrong, but I don't think they would, like some other people. So those two teams, again, expected to go up into the New Year's Six somewhere. Ole Miss, four and three, of course, with a win in the Egg Bowl, you know, they could secure the third-place finish in the SEC. And, of course, if they lose to State, then we ultimately have the same record. So it would be a tie, and we would have the tiebreaker. So State, potentially, could finish as the third-place team in the SEC West. Pretty crazy to think about that, too. Let's say Arkansas beats Missouri. Well, they're 4-4. Four and four. We beat Ole Miss. We're 4-4, four and four, which makes Ole Miss 4-4. Four and four, And State will have beaten both Ole Miss and Arkansas. So technically, by the tiebreaker, Stag would be third. We're, 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 a, a, we're a ambitious here and trying to aspire to get to number one. But considering that so many people were so down on Mississippi State this year and picked a sixth, and we are assured at this point of not finishing sixth, you know, the worst we can finish is three and five, of course, which uh, I guess if Auburn beat Alabama, we'd be in a tie, but we'd have the tiebreaker over them. Now, not that that matters. We need to go win the ballgame. But again, at this point, 13 of 14 SEC teams still in contention for a bowl game. Pretty crazy. And I'm told that, too, Auburn has some APR numbers, too, that could make it interesting. So you could have, uh, you know, one or two, five and seven SEC teams make the bowl game. How would that be? Like, Can you imagine you're sitting across your donorship in College Station asking them for money? And everybody in the league makes a ball game except for you. You're the number one recruiting class in the country, the second highest operating budget in the country, one of the biggest, most generous fan bases in the country, and you finish dead last in the league a year after beating Alabama, and you're the only team that doesn't make a bowl game. Can you imagine the pressure on Ross Bjork and Jimbo Fisher? in a year when there's so much parity within the SEC, and then you go out and lose to all these teams, they've got one win in a conference. It's nuts, man. It is. It's absolute nuts. I can't even begin to imagine how that must feel. Because if you're an A&M fan, you probably just feel trapped by this contract. It's like, my goodness, man. I mean, let's go fire the guy already. Oh, we can't. It's going to cost us, you know, a mint to do it. We've got to buy everybody out, and you got to hire the new coach, and May have to even buy out his contract to get him to come. We're t- probably talking $100 million investment to change football coaches. Those are the kind of things right there that get athletic directors fired. It does. And you think it's just a game. And people say, well, they got the money. Is somebody willing to, to pony up $100 million to change a football coach? And it's such an uncertain proposition. You know, Kevin Sumlin never really got things done. Jimbo's trending in the worst direction. But, you know, A&M has kind of always been an 8-4 and four type team. I mean, they're kind of like us, just with more money. But it's pretty ridiculous when you think about it. All right, final segment of the show brought to you by Portico. Our friend Brooks Bryan, a friend to Mississippi State, a friend to Starkville, a friend to Bulldogs everywhere, a friend to you and me. 
Give Brooks a call or text today at 601-416-8075. Again, at 601-416-8075. Get in contact with him with all of your questions about Portico. I'm going to answer something for you now. Yes, it's a good place to live. It absolutely is. 1.1 miles away from the Mississippi State campus. Conveniently located right off Highway 12. You turn off of 82 on a 12, the very first ride is Pat Station Road. Go to the four-way stop. There you are. So you have the convenience of being on that side of campus and access to the state highways without having to fight through traffic, but you're tucked away in a nice little neighborhood there. You can start with a two-bedroom, two-bath home, go all the way up to a four-bedroom, four-bath home. You need a custom build. Carrie and those guys can take care of you. You say, hey, Steve, this is what we need, but we don't need a cookie-cutter type thing. I need this bedroom a little bit bigger. I need this, need that. They can, they can get you taken care of. Now, phase one is completely sold out. Phase two, the first, the first phase of phase two, nearly sold out too, so you need to act today. But you still have time to act. You can pick out a lot and a house plan and make your dream of being a Starkville resident full-time come true. And maybe it's your ballgame weekend retreat. Maybe it's your future retirement home. It's not too early to start thinking about that. Give those guys a call. Let Brooks know. 601-416-8075. Make Portico your next move. Okay. Let's talk a little bit about the uh, about the golden egg. Of course, there's all these rumors about Lane Kiffin. You know, what's he going to do? He is not exactly denounced the rumors, which is infuriating if you're an Ole Miss fan, right? And thank God that I'm not. But, you know, we went through this with Dan Mullen. And a lot of that sometimes, too, is uh, posturing by agents. You know, that's that's what uh, that's what they all kind of suggest, you know. Um, you know, agents will tell their clients, let us do the talking. Just go out and answer the questions, and here's what we'd like for you to say. Let us handle this. And so when there's indecision – then all of a sudden people get, like, because here's how this is playing out, right? There are a lot of people connected to Ole Miss that love Ole Miss football. And you're like, oh, we got to keep Lane. We finally got this thing rolling again. You know, hey, we're doing good. We you know, appear to be staying out of trouble. We've got NIL so we can take our donors that are, that are agreeable to providing compensation for student athletes and we can now do it in a legal way. Hey, this is our time. We got the guy. We've got a vehicle here that we can do things and uh, maybe improve our standing on the recruiting trail without running afoul of NCAA legislation. So you can understand why there would be this emergent need to give. And maybe you get on there and say, hey, guys, you get on the phone and you're calling Keith Carter and said, hey, Keith, whatever we got to do, you got to get this done. Okay, here's another $100,000 for this project or whatever. You got to get this thing done. So Jimmy Saxon's job and all agents' job is to get the best deal for their client. And I suspect there is some of that. And there's all this smoke out there that he's going to Auburn. I don't know that it's not Hugh Freeze. Now, I will tell you at this point, I don't know which one it's going to be. I will not be surprised if it's Hugh Freeze. Not be. Now, I wouldn't have said that a month ago. But I talked to somebody with some knowledge of the situation that told me, hey, don't count out Hugh Freeze. I know the oldest people are saying that, you know, Kiffin is priority one or whatever. There is always some cover for a candidate during their season. And I think Lane Kiffin is well served no matter how this thing plays out. Either he's going to get he's already got one contract, you know, offer an extension from Ole Miss. You know, he could sweat this thing out and hold this thing out and get as much as uh, you know, get a bigger deal from them. And then, listen, and, and he's smart to do that. You feel terrible as a fan because you're like, man, we're fixing to go play this game and this is a distraction of the team and and sometimes it is. And I think this was a distraction to Ole Miss at Arkansas. Though I thought Arkansas would win, I thought some of Ole Miss's play was indicative of a team that was a little bit distracted. But I think this Kiffin thing might be a smokescreen for Hugh Freeze. Just call it a guess. 
Now, ultimately, if it comes out, it's announced that it's Lane Kiffin. Yeah, makes sense. Does. But I think when you begin to do the math and all this stuff, there, there's not a lot of names out there connected to this job outside of Kiffin and Freeze. Now, the merits of both of those coaches can be discussed. I mean, both of them have had some off-the-field issues. Freeze, much more so. Much more so th- that we know of, right? I mean, you never truly know, right, what's being hidden up or covered up or whatever. We all have secrets, right? We all do. But the known issues about Lane Kiffin – are really not what they're kind of pale in comparison to what we, you know, we, we've known and seen about Hugh Freeze and what's been admitted. Not, not forget all the, you know, the, the hints and allegations and things like that about things. I mean, just kind of what we know. You know, there's a measured risk with all every bit of that. Uh, I think the home run is Lane Kiffin, but if you want to talk strictly football, I think Hugh Freeze would be a tremendous hire at Auburn, an absolutely tremendous hire at Auburn, because he knows the recruiting footprint. You know, I think Hugh is a guy, too, that would fit in culturally there at Auburn. And people say, well, you know, Steve, do you think he's learned his lesson? It doesn't matter what I think. It doesn't matter. I do think that that's a guy right there, though, if he got in there and really got things going on a recruiting standpoint, I think he could make things interesting. And if you're, if you're Auburn, you got to win the press conference. If you can deal with the other stuff, if you can deal with all the ickiness, you know, Hugh Freeze at Auburn competing head-to-head with Alabama – that's quite a statement, you know, from John Cohen. But also I think it shows, too, that John Cohen's doing what's best for Auburn and not maybe necessarily his, based on his own personal opinion about an individual, right? Interesting. But I, do not, I would not rule out Hugh Freeze. I know a lot of people are out there kind of suggesting this, and there's been this thing today, this stupid Paul Feinbaum quote or whatever. Guys, let me tell you this. I've shared with you guys before. You know, these CAA guys, all these guys that are Jimmy Sexton clients, they are a family. They ride for each other like no other. Lane Kiffin, represented by Jimmy Sexton. You know, Lane, and again, this is just my, you know, hypothetical guess here. You know, Lane may be telling those guys, hey, I'm getting hammered out here in the media, man. I got my donors, my fans are all upset with me. It's a distraction to my team. Oh, so let's just call up Paul Feinbaum and have him add a distraction on the Mississippi State side. If you don't think that's plausible, you're kidding yourself. You don't think Paul Feinbaum carries water for people? Give me a break. I put no credence in this report connected to Paul Feinbaum. I think every bit of this is about Lane Kiffin. I think this report that Paul Feinbaum is, I was on that campus. There nobody talks to Paul Feinbaum, guys. Nobody. Nobody in this administration talked to Paul Feinbaum. He is basically tolerated around here. That guy didn't have a source on this campus. He's out here running interference for a fellow Jimmy Sexton client. That's what he's doing. We don't even have an athletic director. We're not going to hire one for probably a month. And so you think that we're going to make a coaching change without an athletic director? Give me a break. Not to mention we've already equaled last year's win total. Everybody's like, oh, you know, we need to look. It's so funny. The, the, the talk is, you know, we need to look at the egg ball as just another game. Well, I, I think, no, you should never look at it. It's just another game. You need to go win that game. It's, game always matters. But like people are like, well, I just don't want to be a situation where we just want to beat Ole Miss. But then all of a sudden you want to make coaching decisions based on just how we play against Ole Miss. You guys, Joe Moorhead beat Ole Miss in back-to-back years, went to bowl games, and we fired him. Right? 
And I think that changes the narrative that it's all just about beating Ole Miss. And so, no, we're not making a coaching change because of the outcome of this ball game. Not to mention, I think State's going to win the game. How about them apples? But I think there's so many people out there that are so frustrated. And there are some people, too, that are, no, are frustrated no matter what you do. I, I, recently, I started to make a big issue about this, but I elected not to. Had some other things going on personally I had to deal with. But um, I went back and read some threads. Thousands of threads. I was up one night, couldn't rest. I went and read all this stuff. And the same people today that are complaining about Mike Leach and we're never going to do that, never going to get us over the, the, the hump or whatever, are the same people that complained about Joe Moorhead, the same people that complained about Dan Mullen. Over and over and over. You know, and so it's like nothing's ever good enough. No matter who we hire, it's never good enough. No matter what we win, if we didn't, if we do win, we didn't win by enough. You know, we go out and go to number one in the country, but you know, we're worried about our secondary. I mean, it's like you know, some people you're never going to make them happy. It's like they're, they're going to worry themselves to death. I enjoy covering sports. I enjoy watching sports. It brings a lot of joy to my life, and at times it's brought some heartache to my life. But I can tell you that you know, don't listen to all that. You know, if if somebody think about just remove the message board mentality out of the whole process. And think about, like, inner office politics or whatever. We've all had that guy that we work with that is like, no matter what happens, no matter what the company does, it's always BS to him, right? Well, they're just trying to stick us on this. And they're always negative. They're always trying to find the negative in every situation rather than saying, okay, well, here's the policy. Let's embrace this and, and let's go give our best shot and figure it out. There are some people that are never going to be on board. They're never going to be truly bought in no matter what you do, no matter how much you pay them. No matter how well you compensate them, how well you treat them, there's always going to be a malcontent in the office. It's the same thing in all this situation here. There are some people that are always going to be a malcontent, no matter what you do or what you say, and they're a very vocal minority. And so I just say that because a lot of this stuff is just not rooted in fact. It's just people talking. You know, is anybody going to, like, it's all these rumors. It reminds me of, you know, 2018 or 2019, the week of the Egg Bowl. There's all this talk and, and like, oh, well, we're going to, we, we, we're going to fire Jim Moorhead. And there was some truth to some of that, but it wasn't related to the field. You know, we had some issues within the program. We had some disciplinary issues. We had basically some, some players that kind of did what they wanted to do, were not held accountable. So, yeah, there was some angst, and there had been some conversations. It's like, you know, guys, we might have made a mistake here. Well, then you win the egg, and you get bowl eligible. And it's like, okay, all right, let's give him a little more time. And then you have the bowl fight. You have, uh, I mean, excuse me, you have the bowl practice fight between Willie Gay and Garrett Schrader, and both were responsible. I get tired of everybody trying to pin that on Willie Gay just because he happened to be the guy that won the fight. They were both responsible. As a matter of fact, the skirmish was over, and Garrett went back and started it up again. It's two alpha dogs out there, and, you know, Willie's the bigger dog. But I, I want to kind of set that record straight. A lot of people pin that on Willie Gay. Both were at fault, both. But it was over until Garrett restarted. Now, all that said, now all of a sudden you lose your star quarterback because of a fight, and then Willie Gay plays the whole game. And so then all of a sudden these things begin to happen. You, of course, you've had Tudor Gate and all that kind of stuff kind of in the back, in the back of your mind. And so we went at firing him. We did, as you all know. Not some big surprise. You know, we fired the guy. But – when you get down to the brass tacks of this whole thing, you know, it wasn't because he, he couldn't beat Ole Miss. Jim Moorhead will, will, will die a happy man 
2-0 and against Ole Miss, and he still lost his job. And there were a lot of people that said, you know what, that just goes to show you it's not about one game, nor should it be about this one. And, again, I've heard nothing from anybody credible to suggest that we're anywhere close to coaching change, especially with a, with a eight-home-game schedule next year and all of our road games are toss-ups. You stay the course. You do. You don't make a change because you lose an egg bowl and then start all over when you've got that, that schedule. I think next year could be a big, lead, big year for Mike Leach and a big year for Mississippi State. All right, if you had not done so, go to dogpilethebook.com. You get all my sports books there. It's Dogpile, Flim Flam, Alpha Dog, Stark Villains. Of course, those last two very limited quantities. I feel like I've been saying that for a while, and then turn around and say, oh, we, we got a case here. Uh, so we don't have much left. So I'd encourage you to get those. Of course, Bloom's Bolleander. Sold a bunch of those over the weekend. Uh, you can buy that at Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, BooksMegan.com, or bookstores everywhere. Stark Villains gear always available at StarkVillains.com. And come to jeanspage.com. Come be a part of our great family. Come on, get, you can come discuss all this with us. All opinions are valued. You just better be ready to defend it. All right, that's it for today. I'll be back tomorrow with a new top 10 and a story about the history of the state Ole Miss robbery. And uh, I, I'm, I'm going to make a few notes and hit a few hot points. I'm just going to kind of share some things with you I've learned and lived uh, over the years when it's come to state and Ole Miss. So until next time, let's all live our lives in a way we make more friends than enemies and people can see a difference in the way we live. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.